Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, dear Matthias. Happy birthday to me. Is it? Is it your birthday or no? Uh, no, but it. it's our. Uh, it was our Macbeth Construction 18th year birthday uh, oh. a couple of days ago. Oh, nice. So, Congrats. Um, I still haven't celebrated it properly, and I'm waiting to do that with my wife. Because, uh, you know, 18 years, that's a long time. That's a very, very long time uh, to be working in construction, too. Successfully, you built a good brand. Uh, thank you very much. It's a, always a work in progress. Oh, of course it is. That's what I love about construction is that uh, there isn't a day that goes by that you do not learn something new. Right. That's just you how it is. Every day. So at the end of the day, you got to look at yourself and you got to go, what did I learn? What did I pick up? Good or bad? You know, you learn from the bad as much as you learn from the good. So uh, right. it's good. So congrats on 18 years, but we're going to have an interesting conversation. You're in Florida. What part of Florida are you in? Uh, we're in Fort Lauderdale. Okay. So, uh, which is really the best part of Florida. To be <laughs> Just don't tell the rest of them. West Palm Beach. Yeah. It's not Miami. It's not cold Orlando. It's perfect Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> <laughs> we're in Toronto, so we're going to have an interesting conversation. <laughs> Matt Beth Construction's here. We're going to talk commercial, residential. Uh, what else? You do, So you DC as well, too. And then also I'm curious about the crowdfunding as well, too. So you're doing a bunch of other stuff as well that's associated to the company. Uh, which is a lot of interesting things that I, I got a lot of questions to ask you about that stuff. So uh, before we get started, I just want to let everybody know that I'm wearing Tim's tea. I always wear a different contractor's tea on the show, uh, Ravine View Construction. And so he does uh, amazing work and he gave me a tea and it fits perfectly. So Tim, thank you very much for uh, dropping off the swag and, uh, and actually gave me some treats as well too. So I had a few of them, uh, which is always good. Teas and sweets, which works out really good for me, man. <laughs> All right, so Matt, where do you want to begin this? Um, eighteen years ago, you're not a, you're not a, you're, you're a young guy. A long still. time, you know. You can sometimes barely remember eighteen years ago. I remember my first day on the job very well. Uh, Why? What happened that first day? Well, it was March seventeenth. I got my license in the afternoon. I uh, had decided uh, right then, as soon as I got my license in the mail, I. Uh, created these flyers and went out and put putting out flyers everywhere. And I put them out in this neighborhood where I thought all the fences looked really bad because I was trying to just find something to do. I didn't know where to advertise what to do. So I was just looking around and I found a neighborhood and I said, I like this neighborhood. Let me post my flyers on this in this place. Like seven o'clock at night, I got a call. And I went to the place the next day, got the job for $840 to repair this fence. A single Around, panel fence or something? Yeah, single panel fence with a gate. I charged them $840. Uh, it's my very first job ever. And uh, I didn't charge them like a deposit. I said, pay me when I get done, because I was going to be done like a couple of days. At 11 o'clock in the morning, I was digging the hole with the post hole. And I went down, bam, and I hit the main water line oh. coming into the entire apartment complex. So it became, <laughs> it became a sprinkler at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> so I ended up calling a plumber. He charged me $1,200 to fix it. 
And in my very first day, I was down $400. The good thing about it was the very next day, I finished the project, the neighbor saw it, and ended up doing like 50 fences in that neighborhood. Look at that. Huh? Yeah. How did the client react when that happened? Were they understanding? Yeah, they were understanding because okay. I was like, oh, shit, I, I did it. It's yeah. my fault. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um, and... You know, back then I didn't follow the regular rules of calling eight one one before you dig, because um, I was so excited about getting started. I didn't even think about that. How deep did you go before you hit it? Um, not far. It was like two and a half, two and a half feet. That's it, huh? The main lines right yeah, there at like two and a half feet. feet. Down, it was right there. It was not very deep. Yeah. I mean, we've had that. I mean, we've all, everybody, everybody in construction, something like that happens and you learn and yeah. you just go, I mean, I'm so particular about always call beforehand and do all the markings. And I, and I really don't care too much about telecommunications because everybody's changing mm -hmm. now regarding uh, those kinds of wires, but definitely water and gas and, and depending on the neighborhood right. electrical, right? Cause not all neighborhoods here in Toronto, we've got a lot of overhead wires for electrical, but uh, and you start building the new communities, everything's going on the ground now, right? right? Everything's underground. You got to call before you dig. Of course, we always do that now. Uh, I have people that do that for me, so I don't have to remember. Uh, but yeah. But it was, was a good construction life job. lesson at that very moment where you had a small job, you had a big problem, and then you had bigger jobs. Exactly. So that was my out. very first day. So, but from there, everything went super well. When did Matt Beth begin? Matt the construction, the construct. Right that's the day. So you started that day. That was the company that you started, and yeah, that's where it that's got. Matt Beth Construction. Okay, that but nowadays you guys are doing so much more. Like I mean, you're also focusing on a lot of commercial stuff, which is, I'm very envious of any tradespeople that get into the commercial side of the business because it's a different animal, right? It is. We mostly do. We do about eighty percent commercial, twenty percent residential. Uh, a few years ago, we were one hundred percent commercial. But recently, since post-pandemic, um, there's been a big growth in the residential side and people being able to afford uh, quality services. So uh, we've gone about 20% into the uh, residential work. So you didn't see any increase in residential during the pandemic? Because here in Toronto, it was the other way around. We saw a huge increase in the last two years, so 2021 and 2022. But now we're seeing a huge downturn and then a lot of tradespeople are getting into the commercial side here and they're trying to get that because that work is still going in there. Even though I guess a lot of companies are being a little reserved, uh, questionable because we're not sure what's going to happen to the economy. So, but mm -hmm. I mean, retail wise, I think people are still gear gearing up and their sales are still going, but residential for the most part has dropped off the face of the earth in our area here. So you guys had the flip side. Now people are actually getting more and more work going on resi wise. Well, everybody wants to move to Florida. You know what? It's, it's, a, it's a good it, argument. It's always a boom. Yeah. It's always a boom. Uh, prices for homes have skyrocketed here and people are still buying them. And also what's happening is people who stayed in their homes a long time they have a lot of value in their homes and there's no sense in selling them because they can't buy anything better. Yeah. So instead they're taking out a hundred thousand dollars, $150,000 and remodeling their place. And we're also seeing a lot of like uh, mother-in-laws uh, move in and bring in cash, add in an addition. 
and remodel the home so they can help care for the kids, care for the grandchildren, and have a closer knit family. Did you get during the pandemic? People were so far apart. Did you guys also recently? I think that we chatted with somebody, but this was out in California. So the uh, the accessory units, right? So are you guys right. you guys pass those rules as well too? I mean, we, I, I'm pretty. I'm assuming that most cities now, Toronto's doing it, California's doing it. There, are, everybody's doing it now. So Florida's the same thing. So you can build a secondary dwelling on the same property that can become a granny or a nanny suite and have some more income coming in, right? Um, well, for the most part, we're seeing people who aren't doing it for the income. They're just adding an addition. Like Because okay. a lot of people now have families that have moved back in with each other. You have a lot of adults living in a in a one family unit now. And what they need is a lot more space. Yeah. So they're adding on 200, 300 square feet and a bathroom. So instead of a three bedroom, two bath, it's now a four bedroom, three bath, four bedroom, three and a half bath home. And that gives them a lot more space. So Matt, I got, I got a world of questions to ask you, but I mean, one thing when I discuss construction to some Americans and also some Canadians that have actually moved down, they've gone down and they're starting to set up shop in, in Florida and other places. I've been asked myself to go down to Florida, to go down to Texas. And, and it's just mm -hmm. like, I don't know if I want to because it's just I, I'd have to start from scratch because I don't know anybody down there. But a lot of the things that I've heard, there's a lot of cowboys. You get a lot of guys that get into the business that don't necessarily know what they're doing and they try to pretend to do a good job, but then they actually create more problems. Is that happening in Florida? Oh, man. Yeah. And it's a gold mine. Really? Huh? It's a gold mine. Cause for you guys, for legitimate guys. And so many people call us after the fact. Um, a guy called. He said, "Hey, I've got a guy. I need a new sub. I need a new contractor. I hired this guy. He couldn't perform." Um, we normally do a lot of Victoria's Secret Bath and Body Works stores. I saw the I, list, man. I know you guys I got lost, a lot. Uh, I lost a. I lost a project to a guy who came down here from Canada one year ago started a business and he took the jobs and there are three jobs like a Victoria's Secret, a Bath and Body Works and a pink store all at the same time. Okay. And the company I, I normally do it with, they said, Hey, this other guy came in, he charged less. I said, no problem. Three weeks later, Hey, we need some help. The store needs to open Monday morning. Can you get me 20 guys here? It's like Wednesday. So we, so of course we specialize in that, fast, immediate, must open kind of work. So they call us, we come in and we turn it around. And that is the most profitable work for us. It happens on a monthly basis. So people calling about people fucking up their jobs. How are you able to do that, Matt? Like, I mean, that's, that's a challenge in itself that you guys have perfected that where you just drop everything and you assemble the team and you get in there like how do you go from a wednesday call to a completion by monday the following week how do you pull that off oh we've been doing that for 15 years which is that's so, just the norm yeah just, yeah so all our guys we love it when this happens because it turns us on and we're like hey we got a new project we got an emergency all the guys love it wherever we have to go we'll go travel we get a seven bedroom mansion uh, Airbnb. Uh, we all stay there. Uh, we feed breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We work 12, 14, 16 hours a day. They go home, go to sleep, wake up, work hard. And then when we get done, they normally take three to five days off 
to relax. Because they just worked twice as much. Yeah, they just work like gangbangers for three, four days. Yeah. And it's awesome. So we love that. And people are excited about it. It gives them an opportunity to get a huge cash influx in a short amount of time. Well, that's that's the thing about commercial that has always kind of turned me off a little bit is that that pressure, that time. Because every day that the store isn't completed and it's not open, there isn't money coming in. So it's, it's hinging on the contractor who has to do the work to finish everything. So how do you handle that pressure? Well, that's liquidated damages. Um, I don't even, I don't even worry about the pressure because the pressure is why we get our work because other people don't like it. And when other people can't perform under the pressure, we jump in and we do it and we enjoy that. We plan very, very well. And we like working around the clock. So we'll go, we'll put a team from seven to seven and then we'll have a crossover team that comes in at like 2 PM and go till 2 AM. And then we'll sleep from 2 a.m. to 7 a.m. to have a team. And then they'll come back in at 7 a.m. Wow. How big is your team? Like how many, like, is it all employees, sub-trades, or the admin staff and everybody? Like how, how big of an uh, operation are we talking about here? Mm, it varies, but we have 11 W-2 employees. Okay. Uh, and we have about 18 independent contractors that we are like 80% of their work. Uh, most of them have worked for us over the past 15, 18 years. Uh, what happens is when a guy comes on board, typically they may come on like a driver or a drywaller or a painter, and then they'll move up slowly. And then they'll become a project manager or a superintendent. And then they will open their own little company. So many of our, most of our independent contractors that work for us were employees 10 or 12 years ago. Or 15 years ago and now they have them and maybe two or three other guys that they have also trained to work and you so don't I call them and they're always ready to go and you don't look at them as competition right like i mean they're no they're not competition it's a network it's like you guys are working yeah. together now right yeah yeah they're not competition we're they're no they're not competition at all i help them and i uh, help their families grow so a yeah. constant theme on the show is that it's it's hard to find trades. Is that the same sentiment in in Florida as well too? Like it's hard to find good workers to good good tradespeople, or is it easier for you guys to find them? Um, it is hard for many people. Um, we have been doing this for eighteen years. I mean, forever. Yeah. So we know people that have been doing it forever, and. I'll give you an example. I called a guy who had a very strong Instagram presence to do some concrete work okay. like three months ago. And then when I started, I called him and he picked up the phone. He says, hey, Matthias, how's it going? And I didn't know who it was. And I said, hey, how's it going? And he says, yeah, I got this concrete. He says, yeah, man, I, no problem. I remember when we did this job, when my dad used to work for you doing jobs and we did this big job in Doral. And remember that? I said, oh, yeah, I remember. And that was his son. And he just took over for his dad and then opened a whole new concrete division. And I just happened to call him. Huh. He remembered. And he's like, oh, man, I got you. Let me tell you what we're doing. We got a per square foot price for this. Boom, 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 boom. And they're awesome workers. 
and they his dad used to work with me for like five or six years and i used to see him with his dad the this now his son is also working with us and he's got the same kind of mindset as his dad put him in like just he knows where exactly. to take the business he knows what the industry is all about right and they know how to show up when to show up because when we work with people when you work with them in the commercial space we don't really tolerate a lot of bullshit so if you say you're going to be there you have to be there are there There's not no blinders matt like uh, like in commercial certain trades come in and this is my scope this is out of my wheelhouse i shouldn't be touching that i don't want it it's that's not the case that's not the environment that you're creating right oh no we don't work with those guys yeah but they are there. They're, they, those guys are out there, right? But the thing is, mm -hmm. like, construction's a community. Construction's about collaborating. Construction, right. that's how you achieve it, and that's how you build a brand, right? Yes, you have to work together. There's no way you can have uh, four or five trades trying to bring a store together in the last five days without really good um, relations with all the workers and cooperation. Everybody has to be in it to win it and in it to do it correctly. So when they come on board, everybody knows this is a this is a team effort. We're all about to make this store come to come to fruition. So I want to ask you, do you prefer the commercial or do you prefer the residential? I prefer I like commercial work. You like commercial more? Uh I do. I do. I like commercial more. And the uh, reasons why? I like commercial more because commercial typically knows what they want. It's very true. Okay. And then Resi. Uh, commercial, you'll get, they have brand guidelines. Yes. They've already decided what level of quality they want. They've already decided who they are. And with homeowners, interestingly enough, and people, they haven't really decided who they are, who they want to be. So they're always questioning, what color do I want? Do I really want this? What is that? But a brand has already decided those things. It's funny how there is such a secure like mindset in commercial of commitment because of mm -hmm. the brand. But then in residential, there is such a fear of commitment. They don't want to commit to something that's going to be physically built in their home, whether or not that it's the latest trend or what's going mm -hmm. on in, in design elements. They don't want right. to pull the trigger and say, yes, that's what we're going to do because they still are afraid that we might not like it when we see it. But with commercial, like you said, the brand is there. This is what it's, the identity is there. So they have to go down this line, right? And they have a decision-making matrix for making decisions. So they'll say, hey, we're doing this because we're about to get 20% return on revenue. Mm -hmm. We're doing this because this is going to make a customer's experience so much better and bring people back. What homeowners sometimes don't have is they don't have really their why for the thing they want beyond be beside oh it looks cool it needs to go beyond it looks cool to this is valuable to me and once they realize it's valuable to them then they'll spend money to to so have it or to get it. how can we make homeowners on the resi side more like clients from the commercial side <laughs> like I, that's if you could figure yeah, that yeah, out yeah. then you you basically own this industry but yeah it's very right? very true right it's it just yeah. 
they are always questioning, doubting, wondering, do we want to do that or not do that? Right. But I mean, your family is the brand. It's like, why not just enjoy it and just do this and know that 10 years down the line, you're going to do it again. You're going to try something different. When your family changes, kids grow up, they move right. out, they downsize or whatever, empty nesters. You like, don't build something to enjoy it for the moment. And then in five or 10 years, build it again and build it again. And then find the reputable contractor that will help you walk down that path. But I think a lot of homeowners are just too scared to commit. They are. And they don't have like a long-term plan no. for their lives and how they want to live. But some do. And the ones that have the best projects understand where their life is going and how they want to live 5, 10, and 15 years from now. Because when they do things, they're doing things for 10 years from now. They're doing things for 20 years from now. They're saying, hey, I'm going to make these doorways 36 inches wide now because my mother is going to come move in with me in 10 years and I want her to be able to navigate and I don't want to spend money. I'm going to put this extra backing here. I'm going to do the extra things here for the future. You know, people that plant the tree so that they can enjoy the shade later. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that you're doing that because it's only a small percentage of the workforce here that is even conscious of any of that stuff. Like when I got started in construction 14, 15 years ago, I got away from curb showers. I just said, what's the point of a curb in right. a shower? The objective is not to turn this into a little mini bath. It's a shower. Exactly. So why do we need a curb here? So if you do the plumbing properly, if you do the slope properly, if you waterproof it properly, this should never back up. So then you have a fear of it flooding this area because exactly. that's the only time you're going to need a curb. So then let's get rid of the curb. So that it starts to assist in that older living, assisted living, wanting to stay in one place living. And I totally agree with you. Those doors should be wider. I never understood why homes, bathrooms in particular were 24 inches. What is right. all that about? That made no sense to me whatsoever. Right. You can never get in there even if you get an injury. Yes. You cannot get into your own bathroom. So that's pointless at that time, right? That makes no sense. I've learned so much from speaking to other people that are handicapped or people that need some assistance and how they're building things, and they don't look medicinal. You know what I mean? It doesn't look that way, right? It, it still looks like a home. It still feels like a home and you can do that. So I've always told clients to opt for a larger door, larger, like I never understood closets that were two by four with one single 24 inch door. Why not put right. two 24 inch doors so you can fully open the closet in Like all these little things that we think about, right? But this is also coming from commercial. Like the way they set up dressing rooms and change rooms and all kinds of stuff and, and where uh, lighting is and mirrors and all that stuff, that's all coming back into the home now, right? So you guys are learning valuable lessons from the commercial and then you're bringing it to the resi. We do. We do. And we'd see new design elements first in commercial, you know, uh, and people copy them, especially well-known brands, you know, like Lululemon brand. For sure. Uh, Secret Bath and Body Works. They all add different colors for different feelings. They have different floors. So people feel different when they walk in. And these brands are at the forefront of this kind of construction changes. I once had a client ask me to stop by a brand new Club Monocle store that was just opening just mm -hmm. to take a look at the flooring and some of the trim work that was put into that store. And I walked in and I was like, this isn't a commercial retail space. This is somebody's living room. This is somebody's right. part of a home. And, and I was really happy to see elements of detail in a commercial retail store. 
it actually made a lot of sense to me. So you started to see more and more of that stuff, which is totally right. What you're saying about it starts in commercial and comes into resi. Mm-hmm. So I, I still want to go back to that connection point, but the problem is the pay structure with commercial. That's the downside with it because, you know, unlike, I mean, with resi, you might not get paid at the very end. There's that risk or whatever. But with commercial, right. there's always a 90 or a 120 day period pay period by the time you finish it. So now as a business, you got to carry that overhead because all your trades, all your subs and everybody else, they've done the work. So then you have to pay them, but you haven't been paid by the actual employer, which is the brand. So is that a downside for you? It is. And we're changing that. How? Uh, yeah. Uh, I too, I don't believe that pay structure is working for today's contractor. Uh, So we have thrown that pay structure out the window. Uh, We now ask for deposits. Uh, Typically, if the job is less than $80,000, they'll pay 50% up front. Wow, okay. Uh, Sometimes I've had them pay, like when we do this emergency work, we have them pay 80% up front. Is there a premium attached to the emergency work as well, too? There's got to be because you're tremendous. You have premium. to, right? It costs two to three times more than it would than you would than it would cost if you called me to do it. But the then start. the bean counters are looking at you coming in and you saying, "We'll get it done by Monday." They look at it like, "Well, we start making money on Tuesday." You know what that's I mean? Right. So that's how they look at it. So that the cost yeah. associated with the extra is mm-hmm. justifiable at that point. Well, imagine you have two hundred employees. On for a, because, you know, like Aventura Mall, Victoria's Secret does $50 million a year. They have 200 employees. And if your store does not open, you have five 18-wheelers showing up with product, specially shipped from China that was sourced six months ago and must be stopped. And you have 200 people scheduled to come to work on Monday to do all this work. To stock it. The logistics of telling them to stop is super expensive but to pay you that extra amount is actually a lot better and cheaper and faster yeah and the reputational risk are astronomical so it's crazy you don't want that to happen so i just want to let everybody know like some of the stores that you guys have have, uh, tackled which are bath and body lulu macy's panda express sunglass hut victoria's secret ikea and lids uh and even pet paradise right is there a store that you haven't built yet that you want to build because you see their style, their design sense? Um, I would like to do more. I have done, a few years ago, we used to do some Cartier stores. Okay. I wouldn't mind doing one or two more Cartier stores. Uh, I would like to also do a modern Under Armour and the newer Nike stores. Wow. Uh, Like the flagship stores. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, some of these new flagship stores, I would like to help build a new flagship store with some of this cool technology that's being brought in. Uh, those are some of the things I'd like to do. And I'd love to do one maybe over in uh, the Arab Emirates in Dubai. And you, because I remember way back in the beginning of my construction career where I was hearing about certain tradespeople, certain contractors, they get flown. They get brought to certain locations because they know the brand, they know the construction, they know what they're expecting. And so it's, it's just makes more sense for the company to hire somebody who's in line with what they want 
instead of trying to find somebody in that particular city, right? So it kind of makes sense to do that. Much easier. It's a lot easier. They're, they're so specific and there's so much room for error. It's much easier and cheaper in the long run to bring in someone, even if they cost two or three times as much. Now, they'll save you money on the experience. A lot of the details that are attached to these commercial stores, they're already being fabricated months before and they're already being stockpiled, I guess. And then they're shipped on a certain delivery date. And then your team comes in and starts to assemble all this stuff, right? That's part yes. of your wheelhouse or is that part of the store's wheelhouse to do all that coordinating? That's part of yours, is it? That's part of our wheelhouse. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll do coordinating. It all depends on what level of service we're providing. We do do design visualizations for some brands where we'll actually create the full design, do the full set of plans and go in there and do the work, uh, build the furniture and install it. Uh, others like uh, Victoria's Secret, they manufacture all of their uh, stuff in Canada. Okay. And then we have to build it super, super, super perfect to fit. Like the time we're in Puerto Rico building the first Victoria's Secret at uh, Avenida de las Americas okay. there. And it's a 12,000 foot store. And the day the day when we're supposed to open, they brought in a fixture and our opening was one eighth of an inch too small. That's some tight. Those are some tight parameters, right? They are. It was one eighth of an inch too small. And because of that, we had to spend like 40 man hours in one night ripping down the entire wall, moving it over, changing out the sheetrock from five eighths to quarter inch and putting all the trim back, painting it so we can do it for, for the next morning opening. <laughs> all right. I actually totally forgot the start of this whole thing. I actually didn't even jot down all your credentials and everything like that regarding Instagram. Do you want to share? So basically it's mattbethconstructioninc.com? Uh, no, mattbeth.com. Mattbeth.com. M-A-T-T-B like boy, E-T-H.com. And then on Instagram, on social media, what, what's the handles you guys uh, are? Instagram, we are mattbethconstruction, okay. at mattbethconstruction. And then website is? mattbeth.com okay that's i just wanted to make sure all that i want to do a little history and construction obviously it's florida related uh so i wanted to see i wanted to actually test you man see if you know this you probably do uh when did building codes start in florida what year I have no clue 1974 that's when florida officially adopted a state minimum building code law requiring all local governments to adopt and enforce a building code that would ensure minimum standards for public health and safety and building code still is applicable in commercial construction correct correct probably even stricter than than residential at sometimes right it is they change all the time the most recent one is 2022 okay yeah that's what yeah i saw that recently so what uh what is florida's hurricane building code uh, the high velocity wind zone. Yeah. So it's basically, uh, yeah, it's the FBC requires some form of hurricane protection for exterior windows and doors on all occupied buildings, whether that be a hurricane impact windows and doors or approved shutter covering system. So you That's guys true. implemented that, right? Uh, yeah. when did hurricane windows become mandatory in Florida? That would have been 2001. Yes. So right that, after hurricane Andrew. Yeah. That's, that's where it is. It takes an act. To, right. To see that's some when action. I came to Florida. That's when you start. Where are you coming from? Uh, Texas. Texas. My dad moved here to help uh, build homes in homestead that were completely damaged. And I was 16 and I came to help him. 
Nice. So Florida Building Code requires any home built after 2001 to have a qualifying form of storm protection for all its windows. And there's actually a percentage too. So if you're outfitting a certain percentage of the house, you need to, you're required to uh, outfit them with storm protected windows at a certain amount of windows that have to be done depending on the face of the structure. So I just want to share that little bit of history yeah. there. Uh, that's 25%. Yeah, that's what I, I, that's what I remember reading, right? So um, yeah. right now, I want to actually discuss the crowdfunding started. I, I know that you guys go in and help people as well too. But uh, you want to elaborate a little bit more on that? Yeah, so crowdfunding is uh, mostly when you go out and crowdfund, what you're really doing is you're collecting money to start something. And typically, whatever you need to start will have a building component, a construction component, and it might have multiple location components. So a lot of times what we find is when people go out and they raise $5 million, they're really raising $5 million to send $4 million of that to a general contractor. So the deals we're looking for are deals where we partner with people and as the GC investor. So not only will we put money in, but we want to actually do the work and use part of the cost to do the work as equity in the business. Okay. How's that been and working out? Um, we're still looking for another good deal. A couple of them have fallen through. Um, one has worked sort of, but it hasn't had enough uh, locations yet. I know that some guys up in New York, they've been doing that. We've spoken to some guys up there and they've been, um, that's part of their resume and they see as value that um, I guess everybody has skin in the game at that point. Right. So they're, right. they're partnering up with certain people. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of tradespeople actually do that to kind of take their businesses to other levels, because I think realistically, and you can correct me, Matt, I mean, just swinging a hammer isn't going to cut it. It's not going to make you grow a brand or a business, right? You got to see at other, you got to look at other opportunities. Yeah. Other ways of creating revenue and long-term income pop. With the skills that you have and with the, the right. team that you've built and the brand that you're designing, right? You have to look at other ways. For sure you do. So I, I know that you guys offer on your website uh, a nine-minute consultation. And I, I'd love for you to kind of walk us through that. Uh, because, I mean, that's just like taking the elevator pitch to a whole other level, right? For construction. Because like when you're talking to resi-specific clients, um, how do you... I guess, interview them for nine minutes to figure out exactly where they want to go with their work. Well, typically when people, the reason we have the nine minute is so that we can vet to see if that's the right client for us and if we can help them. Yeah. So uh, when people first come to you, they come in a couple of ways. One is they know exactly what they want. They have a complete scope of work. They have a set of plans and they're ready to go. We can help those people, no problem. First nine minutes, hey, do you have a set of plans? Do you have a scope of work? Do you have how you want to structure it? Yes, I have those things. Oh, great. Send us a set of plans and then let's set up another call so we can work with you. Oh, I don't have those things. Okay, so where are you in the process? Well, I'm thinking about I'd like an addition. Well, have you have you... Uh, decided how big you want it? Have you decided what features you want in it? No, I just want to, I don't know for sure. And then I said, oh, great. 
how we help you is we provide a design and visualization package. And so we can help you if you don't know what you want or if you do know what you want. And then beyond that, um, for our expertise and knowledge, we get paid. So I know that a lot of the younger trades that are getting into the business are taking advantage of those digital components to help them use and get that secure that sale. Are you guys still seeing value in that and spending that extra time and effort on a digital presentation uh, to get that sale? Is it worth going down that? What do you mean by a digital? So visualizations, trying to like you taking, uh, let's say we're talking about a client that already has drawings. Now you're going to take those drawings and 3D component them and then send it back to them going, this is what we're thinking about. This is how we see your, all these different rooms, right? Does that add value? Does that give them confidence thinking that, okay, this contractor is way ahead of what we want to do. And they're, they're, they're basically playing great chess moves that we, we trust them enough that we want to bring it in. Or is it just more options? Because I find that with residential clients, sometimes there's too much on the menu and they get a little bogged down thinking I'm overwhelmed. There's like, I don't know what to choose as a result. What are your thoughts? I think customers love to see the renderings that we show them. Yeah. We typically have a rendering for every single customer. Uh, uh, we have 21 people on our staff that do plans and drafting. So we are pushing out plans and renderings all the time. And when a customer sees what they want live and on a picture, they're like, yes, that is what I want. And once you get clarity on the exact scope of work and what they want and what they'll expect, it's much easier to provide them with the value they want. Because I think what happens a lot of times with customers is they have an idea in their head of what they want. And they're talking to a, a, a contractor. A contractor may have a different idea of what he's about to provide in terms of quality, timeliness, schedule, everything. And until the contractor and the homeowner are on the exact same page as to all those things, you can't have a successful project. No, of course not. Right. Because oh. At the end, they'll say, uh, well, I wanted it better. Like yeah. I wanted level four walls, not level three. Well, he says, well, I put level three on everything. He says, well, I wanted all my baseboards caulked at the bottom so that there's no line. Well, we normally charge extra for that. <laughs> you know, so until you're really clear on what you're going to provide and what they really want and the end product to be, you have so much room for error in there and problems at the end where they say, well, I don't want to pay. You didn't provide what I wanted. It doesn't look like I thought stuff like that. So Matt, are trends moving too fast? Like in today's 18 years ago, when you got started, there wasn't the amount of resources when it came to construction and design and options out there in the market. Nowadays, you see something that's halfway around the world. There's a way to get that product here, right to your doorstep right. and use it in your project, right? Yeah, I, yeah. So, I mean, our trends in material and options and everything, are there like way too many to be considered nowadays? Not at all. No? I think... Not at all. I think technology and, and opportunity, it just brings more opportunity 
to the person that can present those options in a clear, effective manner so that the customer can understand the value of each thing that they want. I and agree. I think totally. the more options that people have, the better because they're able to have the life experience they want. And that's really what I think living in your home and is should be like. You should enjoy the environment you live in. You should enjoy the textures, the feeling, the ambiance when you walk into your own home. So let's get into some of the trends that are going on right now, because I know that Florida, Florida is a really interesting hub, right? Because Florida over the, uh, I guess, decades and going as far back as a century, or whatever, was heavily influenced by European and South, South American cultures. The way mm -hmm. certain buildings, we're talking residential here, um, they were influenced by certain techniques regarding exterior cladding, regarding roofing materials, regarding glass right. and windows, but also regarding flooring inside the house. Now, that's the Florida of yesterday, but Florida of today, what's the Florida of today when it comes to residential? What are we looking at inside the home, outside the home? Oh, we're looking at cool new features. Uh, we're looking at bigger bedrooms, more useful um, features in the kitchen, uh, hidden, hidden everything. So everything looks a lot cleaner, straighter lines, a lot of flat roofs that people now entertain on top. Um, also the outdoor environment is a lot more inviting. Now people really care what their yard looks like and how functional it is. Like if they have a swimming pool, how they use it and how they use their, the house itself, where they have a gym in it and some of the other features, electric features, um, and automated features that are available nowadays. Is there a lot of security going on? Home automation going on? Is there a lot of health and fitness? Are people are expanding? There is. There's a lot of that stuff. I guess the last two years, the pandemic has basically taught families that you can almost be self-sufficient in your own home. Like if, if things start to shut down, we can still use our home for the purpose of continuing a healthy and, and mental state of home, right? Like that's what we want to use it for. Right. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot of that going on. But that's all starts to cost more money. So now outside of the two by fours, the budget of this construction project starts to escalate, right? Oh, there's no doubt. Construction is extremely expensive. And just starting on a project on your home, I always suggest people have an extra 20% available for changes. Because there are going to be the changes when it comes to resi. They're going to be if you didn't plan for them in the beginning. And if you were trying to be so cost conscious that you're willfully, that your contractor has been willfully blind to stuff that will come up. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what happens. Contractors are willfully blind and they know things will come up and they know things will happen. And when they do, the, the homeowner really has no recourse but to make those changes. So I, I want to figure out how do you communicate to clients that you know deep down don't have the budget yet? It's not ready. So they have their champagne dream wishes, but they barely have a can of beer to, to pay for it, right? So how do you have that conversation? That, that, and that's a conversation that has to get started even before you sign an agreement to do the work, right? How do you communicate with those clients to tell them that you guys are not ready? Um, well, I don't, we tell them really what it'll cost and what it'll be. 
I just say, listen, I had a guy the other day, he says, oh, I'd like to do my garage enclosure. And I said, okay, great. That's about uh, $55,000. He says, oh, that's a lot of money. Can I get it down to 50? I said, you know what? The reality is, I believe it's going to end up being seventy-five dollars to $80,000 because you have some other issues in your home. You've done work there. Even though you just bought it, there's some illegal work on your home. And as soon as we start working on your home, You're you have to fix the other illegal shit. And people don't realize it. And just like you said, they didn't have um, uh, codes before 1970. Yeah. And some people have these homes built in the 70s, built in the 80s that don't meet today's codes. So they're thinking, oh, everything worked just fine two weeks ago. Yeah. But now that you have a permit, you now have to upgrade everything in your home. And those are things that happen to customers all the time. So I tell them, hey, look, this is going to be expensive. I've been doing this a long time. You have this problem, this problem, this problem. And if you don't tackle those things first, you're not going to be able to do this. So he, that customer said he's going to wait. And typically they'll come back six months, a year from now, and they'll say, hey, I'm ready to go. So it's basically at that point, you're educating them and it's an educational process for them to understand what it really costs to do this as a result of what they yeah. want to achieve. And it's not just so much all the pretty stuff that they want to change, but it's also you got to maintain this house because you guys are going to stay here for a while. So you don't want any other things to fail as a result of it. There's right. no sense in building something new if it's going to fail behind it. Yeah, if you are if you have a home and it's built in 1980 and you're putting a... 200 square foot addition on it you're going to have to upgrade the electrical panel just it's you know? just how it is yes it's just what it is it's, you're going to have to upgrade the electrical panel because there's not enough space in it yeah and maybe it's and that little electrical panel upgrade can be extremely expensive depending on what you're going to do so and when you do that and you add that you might your ac might be 15 years old so you're going to have to change your ac out so you might also, as well prepare for that. Place any of your insulation in your house. So it's all like sunk down and gotten all old. All those things make a big difference. So we try to educate customers about it. And for those that decide we're too expensive, because we build these things typically right in our costs. I tell people, I don't want to give you a change order. This might seem high, but I don't want to give you a change order. I don't want to come back and say, hey, look. I have to blow this wall out and do this change and put this structural shit. Cause I know I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. Someone else may tell you, well, let's see what the inspector says. <laughs> Which basically means that they don't want to charge you now, but they want to charge you later. And then it's going to be right. a confrontational conversation at that point. Right. Which makes no sense. Um, right. I'm curious, Matt is Florida EV hungry. They are. Are they? Very TV hungry. Uh, as a matter of fact, Florida Power and Light have just put out uh, something that for $30 a month, you could have, they'll come and install a EV charger in your house for that $30 a month, and you get unlimited charging for 10 years. Really? That's crazy. How are they... Okay, well, see, this brings me up another point that I recently found out, right? So I know that a lot of government, municipal governments, will offer mm -hmm. rebates, right? Right. And 
I recently had a number of conversations off the show with a bunch of tradespeople about certain rebates. And we all, it was an interesting conversation that I almost wish that we recorded because everybody was bringing an interesting point of view from different angles. But ultimately, we, we deciphered that the rebates were a way for the government to find out what you're doing behind closed doors so then we can charge you more for your property tax. That was the official outcome, awesome. which made a lot of sense to everybody once we kind of stirred that soup, right? So great, you're going in, you're doing a rental, and I'm going to upgrade insulation. I'm going to upgrade EV. I'm going to upgrade windows. I'm going to upgrade all these things. Guess what? You go back to the government, you submit your rebates, you get your rebate check, you think it's a huge amount, you get five, ten thousand, whatever it is. And now you're like happy. I I improved my structure, I'm I'm bettering right. the environment. But then all of a sudden, the following year, your property tax skyrockets and it's gonna continue to skyrocket. So a lot of people are not doing the rebates anymore. So that's why I'm starting to question, okay, fine, 30 bucks a month, you get an EV EV, and all of a sudden you can do all this charging. Are they going to start paying attention to your consumption now? Are you adding a pool? Are you adding a sauna? Are you adding all these things? And all of a sudden you start seeing this consuming. So you, the government starts realizing, well, hang on a sec. Well, your value of your home is this now. It's not that. So that's where I'm a little weary about when I see programs like that, where they want to try to push things like that. And people think it's great in the beginning, but it's going to be terrible in the end. Right? So that's why I was just curious about it, that I'm paying attention to other cities, try to figure out what they're doing too. And if it's almost like a little David Blaine kind of sleight of hand trick here where, okay, hang on a sec. Is it, is this legit at that point? Right. Right. You definitely have to read the fine print. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Yeah. You can't. Print. And then now as a contractor, you come in and now you have to educate yourself and start seeing, cause we're seeing, you know, people want power cells in, in, installed. They, a lot more generators are being installed now. It's crazy. I saw recently Kohler, started designing a bunch of new generators that are camouflage. You can get different patterns and prints now. And I'm like, that's brilliant. Before it was a coffin in your yard that looked like this big white right. box. Right. So I'm like, why didn't someone think about this sooner? But you're seeing a lot of uptick in generators. You're seeing a lot of that self-sufficient action going on in people's mm -hmm. homes. Right. And you guys are exactly. seeing the same thing in Florida, right? Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so I wanted to, uh, where, where do I want to take this from now? So where do you guys see it's 18 years now? Where do you see the business now? 18 years from now? Um, 18 years from now, uh, it's a big chunk of time. Be, it is 18 years from now. Uh, we should probably be somewhere around 250 million. Wow. Uh, company, uh, that mostly deals in real estate assets. And um, we'll be building properties for ourselves and remodeling properties for ourselves. Because you see the, okay, I agree with you 100%. And I think every tradesperson that gets into the business should be looking at that as part of their end game. Because you've got these skills. Why not right. benefit from them instead of all your clients benefiting just from them, right? Exactly. So now they hire us. To, they spend money on us to build like profit centers. Yes. And we go, and then they, for the next 20 years, make money off of these profit centers that we're building. And I think sometimes contractors forget that little portion that we're only doing like a little part. And if we have, if we think about ourselves more intricately in the, in the process, perhaps we can have equity in those things that we're building 
and gain passive income from them for years to come as well. Is there any chatter from you guys in the U.S. there uh, regarding recession? You guys are not oh, seeing it? Um, yeah, I think things are going to get bad. Okay. And This year, next year, what are we looking at? I think people are already seeing it happen. Okay. And for us, always good news. Always good news. Because what happened was during the pandemic, things got a little like wild. Everybody thought, hey, I'm going to go be a general contractor. So a lot of people who thought they were tradesmen, painters and stuff said, I'm going to start a business. And while everything is booming, everybody can do well. But when things get tough, all those people without all those years of experience and know-how that don't have any systems or processes in place and that don't have good customer service and customer relations, those things are going to come out and those companies are going to start falling off the wayside. I agree. I've seen it already and it's only good news for us because they also can't finish projects on time because they're cash poor. They don't have good cash management and we get more calls about coming to people's aid. So I've seen it, we're seeing it already and I'm looking forward to the next 18 months. Do you get a lot of clients that are comparing you to those guys? Because I just, it frustrates me a tiny bit where I'm like, if you want to compare me, compare me to another legitimate contractor who has all of their ducks in a row. Don't compare me to a fly by night person who just got into the game the way that you just described it. Are you seeing clients bring that up, comparing you to other people like that? Well, sometimes people tell us, yeah, our prices are too high. This other guy came in too low. I said, oh, call him. No problem. Keep my number handy. When you come back, it's only going to be twice as much. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Which it's is, only going to be is, twice as much. Yeah, which is That's fair. It. Exactly, right? So you might as well get me at a great deal now. I think the reality is, we get a lot of like a, a contract. We get a lot of like investors say, Hey, I'm an investor. Uh, if you come do this great job for me, I have like 500 buildings that I will give you work Dang, for. Dangling a carrot. A little I, dangling I, carrot. I, I know, I know. But the reality is, we are more valuable to his network than he is to ours because. He is coming to us because he's had all these problems before with so many other contractors, and he hasn't been able to keep a good relationship with them, which means he's got problems on his end. So when people tell me that, it just makes me a little bit more excited, but also wary of what they're about, of what they're saying, because I wonder how have they been treating contractors all these years? Why hasn't a contractor, why haven't they created a relationship with a good contractor already? Because when when you create a good relationship with someone and you treat each other well, you guys stick together for a long time. Yes, you do. We've been doing work for people for 15, 16 years. When someone comes on board for us, they keep us for five, six, seven years. Just like this your concrete not, guy. It's just like you're exactly. building a network of like-minded people. Yeah, so the little dangling really doesn't work with us because we understand you need us a lot. Yeah. Because we know the people you've been dealing with. I, 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 it's funny you bring that up because I recently saw a, a local tradesperson here who was announcing that he's gonna, he's got a new partner. And I say in the last four years, he's had this is a third partner. 
<laughs> and then I'm like, okay, it's wonderful that you're announcing that you've got a new partner. But right. my issue, just like the, you described it, I'm like, I don't think it's the partners that are the negative side of thing here. I think the common thread is you. You're the exactly. individuals not getting along with these other people. And so, yeah. fine, you're announcing a new partner today. And I guarantee you, I could probably just take a bet. Two years from now, you'll be announcing another partner and the common thread's going to be you. And I'm like, right. that's not the way to build a business. You got to figure out, okay, so take a good look at yourself in the mirror and find out, are you the problem and figure out what is the problem and solve that problem because you're going to constantly be changing partners and you're going to constantly be doing the exact same thing over and over. And that's not going to get you to financial freedom and building your business and getting to a certain point. Right. Exactly. Um, let me do a little building code talk here. Obviously Florida. Do you know what the building code in Florida 1816 is? The number 1816. What does that uh, apply for? (laughs) (laughs) Termite protection. Termite protection. Termite protection. So termite protection shall be provided by registered uh, termites, uh, uh, termite installers, uh, including soil applied pesticides, baiting systems, uh, pesticides applied to wood and other approved methods or of termite protection labeled for use as a preventative treatment to new construction. Termites a big deal in Florida. Yeah. Um, anytime you cut a slab, you have to have a concrete treatment. I mean, you have to have a termite treatment. So anywhere, like if you cut a trench, that's one foot wide by 10 feet long, you have to get a, you're supposed to get a uh, A report. Wow. And you have to show that to the inspector when you have your slab inspection. If you don't have that, you won't pass. And it's about the minimum charge is $250. And that's typically what it is. It can go up, but typically $250. They come come out, spray, give you a little paperwork, and then you show that paper. It's peace of mind. Now you don't have any termites going into the new structure, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned this earlier. So the actual building code 1609 actually goes towards uh, minimum wind load. Wind load right. prescribed uh, here and decreases in wind load shall not be made for the effect of shielding by other structures. So it has to be a standalone structure as part of the 1609.1 application. Um, does a bedroom have to have a window in Florida? Yes. Egress windows are required in every room in your house used for sleeping purposes, such as bedrooms. They're also required on any floor and in basements with habitable space. But as a Florida resident, you probably don't have to worry about a basement because you guys don't really have that many basements, right? We don't have basements. Too high a water table. (laughs) It's too exactly, right? So that was a little bit of building code talk there. Um, Matt, do people still love construction in Florida? Do people still love construction? Yeah. You ever yeah. lost a love in 18 years? Have you ever lost a love of construction? I, I have lost a love of construction. How did you uh, find that love again? Uh, we all do, by the way. I'm sorry, but we well, all do. I lost, I lost, I lost a love of construction when I went out, created another business, and it went super well. And then I said, oh, I like this other business. Uh uh, and it was, and then I was thinking I'm going to get out of construction. This was like two years ago, three oh, years ago. Interesting. Yeah, this was recent. Okay. Two and a half years ago. But then I got a call to do 30 
Victoria's Secret stores a uh, a brand change, which means the entire store gets repainted, gets rebranded on 30 stores all over Florida and Puerto Rico. I could not pass up that opportunity. That's a, that's a lot of, yeah. You know, it's 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 hard work. It's seven to 10 nights. It's open store remodel. So it's seven to 10 nights in every single store. You got to have seven to 15 people there every single night, tear everything down, put everything up. And the store opens every single morning without a problem. And no one knows you were there. Wow. So when you, and I love that work. So that is like, if, when someone says, Hey, I got these 30 stores, we need to roll them out. we got 50 stores. I love that kind of work. It's very fast. It's very, you have to be extremely efficient. Uh, you have to be very well planned and you need the right people to do it. So I know that when people call me about it, it's because they're willing to pay the price because they need it done. And those, and that's why I came back. And so I did those 30. <laughs> and then while I was doing those 30, some other stores came up and you know sucks you back in <laughs> how long did it take you to do those 30 um it takes about seven months wow that's seven a lot of work back to back yeah all over you may have we may do three or four stores at a time up to five stores at one single time so you have five crews going on at night at different places and you're trying to manage that you have five different store managers and, you know, I was going to ask you, you're not swinging the hammer anymore, right? Oh, I haven't swung a hammer in many, many years. Yeah, that's what I figured. But on your website, I see a lot of black and yellow. Are most of the guys black and yellow or who, what, what What? brand tool are they using most of the time? Uh, Yeah, uh, we're DeWalt, Milwaukee. Uh, a few years ago, we committed to DeWalt. When DeWalt first came out with all those um, heavier duty cordless tools. Yep. And we decided uh, hurricane time or, or during Hurricane Wilma here a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, I went full uh, watt cordless with every single tool we had. And so we bought all the brand new DeWalt's. Uh, since then, uh, for our plumbing division, we went all Milwaukee. Yep. Uh, so we go plumbing. Every All our plumbing is Milwaukee and every tool is cordless. We don't use any corded, corded tools. Um except for our festival uh our festival is corded our festival saw is corded the track saws and everything like that right yeah, yeah. festival track saws are well they, they, they've got cordless versions now as well I, mean, I guess i'm waiting for them to figure out a full-size cordless vacuum nobody's designed that one yet even though they've i think all the brands milwaukee and dewalt and bosch and everybody they've all got a a, a monster sds you know yeah. jackhammer on cordless Platform. they do it's amazing so why can't we have a full-size vacuum on cordless uh dewalt has a cordless vacuum really yeah yeah we full, have like one. a full like a five gallon or something like that not yeah, a five, five gallon. really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i haven't have seen one. that one yet that's brand new yeah, yeah they have one um the cordless yeah everything we i believe everything should be cordless i think it just makes so much sense and so we're dewalt milwaukee guys um and festival festival what, what are you guys using the festival for oh just for the track and play next uh, things like that we have a lot of festival tools yeah. uh we have uh you know the festival orbital, orbital sanders yep that 
connect to the vacuum. Yep. Those are invaluable when you're having to put a level five finish on an open store and you need to, what we do use 20 minute mud and we're going back and then you have to come back and sand that wall. You need a festal random orbital cordless sander to do that. Do the commercial, when you, when you guys are working with the commercial people, do they have their own inspectors that come in and, and look at your work before they sign off on things or. Like, who's giving, yeah, they who's have giving their the project up? managers okay they have right. their project managers or their regional managers uh we do a lot of it uh remotely by camera now okay however if it's they trust us to get it right i mean you don't really need to inspect it when we finish it because we know we do it right there's only one way to do it it's got to look one way there's no so opportunity to cut a corner that way yeah it's wrong that's what I figured, because when you do walk into a store, like there's no corners that have been cut. Everything yeah. lines up perfectly. Everything is smooth. You do not see butt joints. You do not see mm-hmm. nail pops. You do not see any of this stuff that is so commonplace in construction. Right. So when you're going through the store and you see nails or holes or caulk missing, or that just does not, it doesn't register that that's going to be left yeah. because it needs to be perfect. And we know it, and we have these checklists that we go through. Hey, as everything look, uh, did you tape? Did you tape? Did you do this? Did you do that? And then we know it's done properly. Because if it's not, you can immediately tell. Matt, I want to ask you, how do we, how, I mean, I know you guys are doing it, but how do we as the industry continue to make the industry better for future people that want to come into the industry? I think we need more education. How do we do that? Where do we start it? Uh, I think first, uh, I had a class in my uh, office today. I, I give a class to my people. Okay. Uh, if anyone wants to attend my class, they can come to my class. I'm happy to educate anyone. We have a, I'd give them classes about, today was about math. Because math, math, math. <laughs> math is synonymous with construction. Right. So, uh, and precision. Teach them math. Teach them precision and teach them, uh, like, um, I would say, pride in your work. Like, you did this. What do you want your level of quality to be? What, because what you do is your lowest level of tolerance. When you're painting a wall, if you see something and you don't reach over and fix it, and then go back and re-roll it, I know that you did not give a shit about that because you can see it. You can see the things as you're doing them. You make conscious decisions not to fix things and not, because people see it. Oh, I see that little thing in the corner. Oh, they keep walking away. But the guy who really cares, he goes, he cleans it. He gets out the vacuum first. He vacuums the floor first and then wipes the baseboard before he paints it. Because, you know, if he doesn't, you're going to see all these little uh, spots on there. It's about finding people that have a higher, lower level of tolerance for bullshit. And that's what we like to do. And that's what I like to train with people. It's hard to find sometimes, no? Because everybody's all about punching the clock for the day. This is how much money I want to make for the week. I'm not thinking about any further. I mean, we all know about people that live for the day, live for the week, live for the month, or live 
people should be thinking down the line, just like you said earlier, 18 years from now, you want to be a 250 mil company. Like mm-hmm. that's down the line. You're not thinking about that today. You're not going to pull that off today or this right. week or this year. You're going to pull that off eventually, right? But most people that get into construction, they still think it's about the today, just about one day. I'm like, it can't be that way. A lot of people about are like that about life, unfortunately. Yeah, it's a reflection. And yeah, yeah. They're that's how they have to live their life because they're always trying to in the struggle. Um, and what we have to try to people help people to see is to look beyond the struggle, to look at the future because the future is coming. Mm-hmm. Typically, when someone first comes to work for us, they're completely broke. They have no money. They're they need money that day or that week. Hey, they make start work Monday and they need money Wednesday so they can come to work. However, after three months of working with us and getting regular paychecks and taking classes on how to manage their finances, they start saving better and making better decisions. Are you educating? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, we we educate our people. No, I was gonna ask: Are you educating the the people, your people, and actually people that are in the industry about money management because that's a big thing? Oh yeah, it was one of our classes. It's about how do you take your paycheck and break it out into pieces to figure out how much money you have left. How do you create a budget? Yeah. How do you? Because uh, that's very important. Because the next stage you want these people to do, you want them to go to foreman where they can go on a job site and say, "I need these materials, and it's going to cost this much money." Because yeah. I can say, "Hey, how much you think it's going to cost?" I need them to be able to say, "Hey, it's five thousand dollars of materials. It's uh, four hundred man hours," and I'll be like, "Okay, I got it. Boom!" And then I can do that. And the more people that are able to do that, the more opportunities they create for themselves and for everybody around them. I want to ask you, uh, as we're getting close to the end here, um, can you let our listeners know what are the top five things that a new employee should be thinking about when it comes to working for you or working for anybody in the industry? Um, But I also want to find out what are the top five things that clients are looking for from a contractor? Um, First five things for us, I would say, Attitude, attitude, attitude. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I agree. I agree. Okay. Okay. Uh, Second is uh, math skills and optimism. Yes. Um, I think when people wake up in the morning and if you can sell yourself, convince yourself of your excellence every single day and have a great attitude, I think it helps everything, no matter what you're doing. Because the perspective you will give to the work you're doing will be completely different if you have an awesome, great attitude than, than the perspective you give than if you have a bad attitude about it. Yeah. And I think that changes everything. So when someone comes to us, the first thing we're all about is attitude, attitude, attitude. I love it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Now, and for a client, what's a client looking for? What are those top five things that clients are looking for in a contractor that they want to hire? I would say experience, honesty, uh, on time, 
Great attitude, great attitude, great attitude, great attitude. <laughs> Friendly. You want to be able to get along with your contractor. You're going to make so many decisions together, decisions that are that are going to impact your life for years to come, yep. if not the rest of your life. So you want each of these decisions to be made uh, in a sound manner where you can be comfortable having conversations with your contractor about why you really want it why you need it and why it needs to be a certain way. And you need him to be open and receptive to everything that you're needing and wanting and not just thinking about how am I going to get another dollar out of this customer? Instead, you really, we think about how can we really provide the thing that they really want? So we try to get down into what is it that you really, really want? And once we find that, oh, we have a great partnership. That's all it is. Uh, let me bring up a little bit of Green Book Talk, which is OSHA. Green Book Talk is ours. OSHA is yours. Uh, what is the most common workplace safety violation these days? Uh, not wearing a hard hat or improper use of a ladder. Fall protection. Yeah, it's fall protection is the most <laughs> frequently safety violation in most workplaces uh, yeah. as of 2022. That's yeah, all it yeah. is, right? So now I just, I want to, I mean, we always just remind everybody here, right? But let's go through a few of the safety violations we should all be avoiding. So there's 10 of them here. Ignoring industrial hygiene issues. So, you know, the, the job site toilets and things like that. Everyone, come on, we all use it. We all got to maintain it. Don't be a pig about it, right? Failure to enforce safety rules. We all know what safety right. rules. They're just like you saying about the walls and the deficiency. We all see it, man. Let's just all just take care of everybody. Everybody wants to go home at the end of the day, right? Failure to take a systematic approach toward safety. Failure to use appropriate engineering controls. Failure to conduct safety audit. Failure to control flow of information before, during, and after an inspection. Failure to correct cited hazards. Inaccurate OSHA logs. Lying is number nine. Nobody lies in construction, eh? Especially about safety. Uh, and then ignoring or retaliating uh, employees who raise safety concerns, right? So I just wanted to share that with everybody. Uh, Matt, what's the information again? Sorry, it's mattbeth.com? Mattbeth.com, M-A-T-T, be like boy, E-T-H.com. And then the Instagram again is Matt? Matt Beth Construction. Got it. All right. What else do we want to chat about before I get into the 12 questions of construction here? What else? Are, we've discussed quite a bit, man. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about a lot. Yeah, so I mean, I, 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 I'm excited about what's going to happen to you guys in the next little while. I love what you guys are doing. I love that it's it. It almost feels like it starts with education. Everything is starting from that point, and then it goes. It just like it branches off to everything else from there, right? Yeah, you have to. People need to know. Sometimes people are doing the things they're doing because they just don't know better, and no one ever taught them. It's true. No one was ever taught how to be a good human being. We were just born. No one ever, and no one thinks about those things. And sometimes our life, we get so wrapped up in our day-to-day -day life, especially people in the construction industry, because they're literally day-to-day -day or week-to-week. -week. And when you're day-to-day -day and week-to-week, -week, then your base needs aren't being fulfilled. So you can't get to the next level of your emotional health that you really need to be working on. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that is about education. It's about telling people what's out there, what's available, and that the way they're doing things now doesn't have to be that way. It could be better. 
there's always a chance. It starts right? by educating. Yeah, it does. All right, you ready for the 12 questions? I'm ready for the 12. Yeah, I'm ready for the 12 questions. <laughs> There's no right or wrong. These are just <laughs> questions that we ask at the end of every single okay, show. I'm ready for the 12 questions. Ready? Okay. No, no, don't worry. You'll you'll get it once you uh once you'll see the first one here. What is your favorite construction word? Um level. What's your least favorite construction word? No. <laughs> what turns you on in construction? Clean, straight lines. What turns you off in construction? Shitty work. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. What's your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? Um, a pickup truck. Particular brand or particular model? Um, I'd say 2,500, uh, crew cab. What's your least favorite vehicle? Um, small Porsches. They're all small. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you love? Uh, you know, the sound of a saw when you go zoom. Zoom. I think that's the, one of the perfect sounds in, in, in construction. What construction sound or noise do you hate? Uh, hammer drilling into concrete on a 10th uh, floor, something like that. It vibrates the entire building. You hear it on the street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? Um, I think I'd be a good lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'd be a good lawyer. What profession would you not like to do? Um, I don't even know what profession I wouldn't like to do. I wouldn't want to be a factory worker. Just punching the clock and turning yes. the widget, that's all. Huh? I would not want to do the same exact repetitive motion job anywhere <laughs> last question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at those pearly gates oh this is like he'd be like hey we've been waiting for you for like ten thousand years you're too early <laughs> go back for another ten thousand <laughs> matt absolute pleasure having you on the show i did want to ask and i don't know if you can answer it but what happened to the other business that you almost stepped away from construction for uh, well, what happened was we did uh, seven million. Uh, we cleared two million, uh, and we sort of rested on our laurels a little. And we had business partners that, after everybody split the money, uh, it's, things sort of fell apart in terms of coming to an understanding of what was next. Oh, okay. And then if you guys aren't on the same page, there's no sense in getting to yeah, the next chapter, right? Yeah, exactly. Sure. That's all it is. Yeah, we couldn't make a deal going forward. So we just made money parted ways. Loss there, gain here. Yes. 
that's all basically it. Matt, absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you very much. This I has really been great. Don't go, don't go anywhere because we, we generally just want to wrap it up and then close it up. But then, uh, and then we, we say like that, but, um, I, I, it's been fun having you on man and, and all the best in Florida and all the work and I'll be paying attention to what's going on, man. Thank you. I love your podcast. Thanks I've man. Like 10 of them in the past uh, few days. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people are watching them. I like, I like that this, uh, this little show has become something which is really interesting. And I, mm-hmm. I like that we we've expanded to interviewing people all over the States and all over the world. And I've got plans on interviewing more and more people outside and love to get to the middle East one day and start talking concrete out there, figuring out what they're doing yeah, there and cool. all kinds of stuff like that. So, uh, mm-hmm. I totally appreciate it. Again, the information again is triple W Matt, uh, And then on IG, it's also Matt Beth, right? Matt Beth construction, construction on IG anywhere else you, you on any other social platforms. Right? Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on TikTok. Uh, we're everywhere and we're all Matt Beth construction. Perfect, man. And is it Matt or is it Mateos? Like, I mean, Mateos is. You can call me anything you like, my friend. <laughs> what is I your background, man? Uh, my background, um, I was born in Los Angeles, but I have traveled and lived in many places and traveled to 50 countries, lived in China, lived in Mexico, lived in Ukraine. I am a global citizen. Nice, nice, man. Well rounded individual. All you got to do now is go back to all those places and build there. I'd love to, especially China. That'd be interesting. Matt, thank you so much. We are out of here. Appreciate it, Angelina. Thank you.